Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Logos Project. This is your host, Dom. And in today's video, we're going to be covering uh, the passing away of Pope Benedict XVI, Emeritus, um, known as Joseph Ratzinger. Uh, today, I have a, I'm getting over a cold, so you'll have to forgive me for my um, sickness. I might sound a little stuff, you know, stuffy in the nose. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to um, highlight this day because of the passing of Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. And uh, to do so, I brought up um, this letter I wrote to him uh, through the internet of uh, birthday, and he was able to read all of these letters. I'm not sure if he got through all of them, but mine was up on the list. So I, I think I like to think that he read it. And I sent this on Holy Saturday this year, and it was a letter to Pope Benedict, um, and it uh, it goes as follows: Dear Pope Emeritus Benedict, we wish you a most happy 95th birthday. This year was special since your birthday fell on Holy Saturday, the day you were born. You have been an immense source of wisdom, inspiration, and faith in my walk with the Lord and in my theological studies. You have been the most influential scholar and faithful Christian behind the work that I do. May God bless you and know that many people are praying for you and are filled with gratitude for all that you have done for Holy Mother Church with filial devotion, Dom. And so we got a response online saying that the Pope is grateful for those. The Pope was grateful for those um, letters for his birthday. Now, I got the news. I think it was, was it Wednesday that Pope Francis said that the Pope uh, Emeritus was uh, very ill. And I knew it was approaching the end. I knew he was approaching the end. And I told people around me, I said, I think he's going to pass on Saturday morning. And I woke up this morning and he had. And I think it's because, I mean, I think it's Providence, right? That he was born on a Saturday morning and then he passed on a Saturday morning. So as you guys know, here at the Logos Project, Pope Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger, is really the mind behind all of the work that I do here and all the guests that I have on. He's the kind of constant thread. His theology, uh, the beauty of his theology, really is behind everything uh, at the Logos Project. So it's very sad to hear of his passing, um, but now at least, you know, um, uh, if, if he's with the Lord, I can pray to him and ask for his intercession for uh, my channel and for anyone who helps contribute to the work I do here. So, again, I apologize. I'm a little sick, so I apologize if I sound stuff. But I wanted to read a few things from Pope Benedict uh, in order to remember him on this day of his passing. I see um, uh, Dr. DeClue's in the chat. Uh, welcome, Dr. DeClue. Um and so, okay, so here's something that Pope Benedict wrote in his book, um, Eschatology. He was writing about the intermediate state between the, the death of the, the Christian and the resurrection of the body. And he talks about uh, how Christ himself, you know, in union with him is paradise. Paul says, uh, I can't remember what letter, but he says to be away from the body is to be with the Lord. And so uh, Joseph Ratzinger writes, here is the dawning realization that Jesus himself is paradise, light, fresh water, and the secure peace towards which human longing and hope are directed. Perhaps we may remind ourselves in this connection of the new use of the image of bosom, which we find in John's gospel. Jesus does not come from the bosom of Abraham, but from that of the Father himself. The disciple, who is to become the type of all faithful discipleship, rests on the bosom of Jesus. The Christian, in his faith and love, finds shelter on the breast of Jesus, and so, in the end, on the breast of the Father. I am the resurrection. 
what these words mean emerges here from a new angle. And so I am confident that Pope Benedict Joseph Ratzinger is now resting in the bosom of Jesus and in the bosom of the Father. And, uh, you know, it will um, receive his body back at the resurrection uh, of the bodies of uh, all the Christian faithful. Now, um, another quote here from Spesalvi, uh, it says in paragraph 27, whoever is moved by love begins to perceive what life really is. If we are in relation with him who does not die, who is life itself and love itself, then we are in life. Then we live. This is Pope Benedict uh, in Space Salvi, paragraph 27. So um, it's just, it's a sad day, but it's it's not, um, you know, it's not a, a despairing day because uh, we have a, another advocate now, uh, you know, at the bosom of the Lord who can intercede for us, especially, I hope, who can intercede for my work here at the Logos Project, which really the, the whole inception of this uh, YouTube channel, podcast, you name it, the whole um, project, right? The whole Logos Project really always has revolved around his theology. He's always been the inspiration from the beginning and will continue to be. And I think that as other people have pointed out, you know, uh, we're soon going to see him canonized. And I think we're soon going to see him, you know, be declared a doctor of the church. I think he really is the doctor of of modern times when it comes to Catholic, uh, the Catholic faith, the Catholic theology. Uh, Father Brown here says, eschatology is maybe Benedict XVI's most daring work. I find it fascinating. Yeah, it's one of those books that just completely changed my life. Um, incredible book. I've, I've read it one, uh, one time and a half. I need to reread it. It's so good. Um, uh, Declan here says, his Jesus of Nazareth series is the closest thing you'd find to an authoritative biography of our Lord. Incredible reading. Oh, yes, it's very beautiful. Um you know, recounting of the story of Jesus. Uh, City of Immaculata. Bishop Barron said it nicely this morning. Benedict XVI's life ending is a kind of closing on Vatican II in many ways. He's the last of the major figures present at the council. That's absolutely true. And, uh, and I also think he will be going forward one of those hermeneutical keys, right? One of those uh, theologians of the council that we'll always look back to and uh, in order to understand the meaning of the council, him and John Paul II, they're kind of the, the two men of the council that will kind of stand out in history. Uh, oftentimes after councils in church history, you have um, these great saints or these great theologians who stand out. Like, for example, Trent had, you know, Bell Bellarmine and DeSales, uh, you know, uh, Chalcedon had Maximus. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, and Vatican II is going to have... Um, especially Joseph Ratzinger, but also John Paul II. Um, yeah, Father John's uh, Santo Subito, Santo Subito, yes. So I'm I'm confident that he will be canonized um, within the next few years, and I hope to see him declared a doctor of the church in our lifetime. I think that's uh, fair to say that it will happen. Um, just to kind of show you guys the depth and the beauty of Joseph Ratzinger's theology, especially when it comes to, you know, his theology is very Christocentric, it's, it's everything in his theology revolves around the incarnation as the center of it all. And, uh, you know, and it, it, it starts, you know, it begins and ends with this concept of communion, as you guys all know. Uh, but this exitus from God and this readitus back to him, right, the focal point that makes that possible is this person, 
called Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, is what makes this procession and return to God uh, possible. And so everything is characterized by communion for Joseph Ratzinger. Um, but his theology of the church is something that he, um, you know, especially his uh, Eucharistic ecclesiology is something that he was very influential in, especially at the council. But um, he starts to look more at the Marian dimension of the church after the council, because before the council, you know, he was much more focused on this Christocentric vision for the council. But then the, the, um, the role of Mary became uh, an interest of his. It always was, but more so after the council. And so I wanted to read a passage here because I think the, the way forward after the Second Vatican Council, we're going to be talking and thinking and praying a lot more about what the church is. And I think Lumen Gentium here is going to be one of, one of those pivotal texts in the future of the church. And as you guys know, you know they were in, at the council, they were debating uh, whether they should have a document on the Blessed Virgin Mary or whether they should include it in the document on the church in Lumen Gentium. And they eventually decided to include it in Lumen Gentium. And uh, Joseph Ratzinger here writes in uh, one of his books with uh, Hansos von Balthasar, he says, The patristic period foreshadowed the whole of Mariology in the guise of ecclesiology, albeit without any mention of the name of the Mother of the Lord. The Virgo Ecclesia, Virgin Church, the Mater Ecclesia, Mother Church, the Ecclesia Immaculata, Immaculate Church, and Ecclesia Assumpta, Assumed Church, the whole content of what would later become Mariology was first conceived as ecclesiology. And so here what Ratzinger points out, and you see this in his uh, Eucharistic ecclesiology, is that the church has to have a, uh, an identifiable subjectivity. It has to be able to respond to the bridegroom, to say yes to the one giving himself. And so, you know, this becomes crucial in, uh, in, in his work with the church. And in fact, this illuminates... The phrase in uh, Lumen Gentium, <coughs> excuse me, it illuminates the phrase of the phrase of that the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. Uh, what that word means is that it it is present in its fullness in the Catholic Church, but as a subject, right? As a subject that can respond to the bridegroom. So um, it's it's not um, you know there's been a lot of debate over that word, but really the um, the, the full meaning of it is that Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the spouse of Christ. And so uh, uh, Christ is present in toto in the church because of this interpersonal communion, this exchange of yeses, this covenantal, this covenantal dance, right? And so the church uh, uh, subsists in the Catholic church as a subject who responds in faith to the Lord. And so... Um, Ratzinger's theology really is the key, I've always thought so, to understanding not just many aspects of the council, but to understanding our uh, outlook on the church today and how we should approach uh, modernity, really. He knows how to kind of sift through the currents of the time and to kind of lay forth the path forward in uh, faithful Catholic uh, theology that both, you know, takes from the rich sources of tradition, but also moves forward in a constructive and in a way that um, that doesn't uh, become kind of too, um, what's it called, kind of too solidified and rigid, because if it does, then it, it's not going to last. So um, let's see, Dr. DeClue here says, founded on the communion of the Trinity and centered on the communion between God and man in Christ, 
with the communion of the church, including the communion of saints, as the salvific effect. Exactly, beautifully said. That's the summary, really, of Joseph Ratzinger's theology. Uh, and Dr. DeClue would know better than me, of course. Uh, by the way, I'm definitely looking forward to your book, Dr. DeClue. Uh, definitely going to be buying it as soon as it comes out. Um, but yeah, so today is a sad day. Uh, it's also, I wanted to memorialize this day on the channel. As you guys can tell, I'm not in my office. I'm traveling for Christmas and New Year's. Um, but I couldn't pass on the uh, opportunity to memorialize this day uh, because of the importance of Joe Ratzinger, you know, for the channel, the work I do in my own life as a Catholic. Uh, he's he's responsible for, uh, so you know, he's responsible for my faith, really. Uh, he's really the one that solidified my uh, Catholic identity, you might say. So, yeah, so not too much to say. If you guys have any questions in the chat, uh, go ahead and put them there. But um, I do actually want to read something I wrote, and this is something I wrote, but it's something that I, you know, I, I got from Ratzinger. Uh, it's uh, some observations based on his theology. And, uh, you know, I thought you guys might en enjoy this. So it's a little uh, essay I wrote called Symbol and Communion. And it goes as follows. <clears throat> The word symbol comes from the Greek symbolon, excuse me, which means mark or token. Its etymology is compound, soon, which means with, and balain, which means to throw. In other words, a symbol is a visible sign which puts things together. Its opposite could be demon, right, derived from daimai, uh, which means to divide. So the symbolic and the real uh, were not seen as antithetical in the patristic era. The reason for this was that the symbol was a participation in the real and therefore a mediator of it. Beauty is key when we speak of symbols because a symbol is the radiance of communion. So in other words, um, when you put things together to uh, symbolize something that is real, and that symbol participates in it. And beauty, right, is, um, uh, let's see, beauty is the resplendence of the communion of those uh, parts that are together in, as a whole, right, katholikos. And so um, beauty is key when we speak of symbols because a symbol is the radiance, right, the, the, the splendor of communion. When St. Thomas writes about beauty, he speaks of integritas, consonantia, and claritas, wholeness, proportion, and beauty. The church and her faith possess this wholeness, right, in Greek, katholikos, according to the whole. This proportion as well, the church possesses. It holds in tension all that has been revealed without picking and choosing, you know, cafeteria uh, Catholicism. And the church also holds this splendor in her trail of saints, her art and music. Joseph Ratzinger loved music. Uh, and in her message, which is a light to the nations, right? Lumen Gentes. So the splendor of the new Israel incorporates the various traditions of human history, Athens, Jerusalem, and Rome. As David Schindler puts it, Catholicism is not just a religion, but what we might call a real symbol, a form that unites in history the three traditions of the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews, mediating each of these to each other and thereby giving rise to a novel whole, Catholicos. And so communion and beauty find their expression in the symbolum. Ratzinger says, through the appearance of the beautiful, we are wounded 
in our innermost being. And that wound grips us and moves us towards the truly beautiful, to the good in itself. <clears throat> and furthermore, Balthazar highlights the perichoretic relationship of the person and the beautiful. When he says, before the beautiful, no. Not really before, but within the beautiful. The whole person quivers. He not only finds the beautiful moving, rather he experiences himself as being moved and possessed by it. Ratzinger was truly moved and possessed by the beautiful, and you can see it in his theology. This is why it is in the liturgy that symbolism is so appropriate. And as you guys know, Ratzinger was a huge man of the liturgy. In fact, all liturgical symbols participate in the ultimate symbol itself, the Eucharist. <clears throat> but it is not merely a symbol, as our modern minds might think, but the presence of the whole in all of its beauty, the presence of the form of Christ. It is that which makes us church, that which makes us the bride, whole. Therefore, the church makes the Eucharist, and the Eucharist makes the church. So I just wanted to share that with you guys, you know, taking this mostly from Ratzinger's overall thoughts. So Ratzinger was a man possessed by beauty and the beauty of the Lord. Um, and that's why he was a man of the liturgy. He was a man of music. He was a man of theology. And he was a pope, a shepherd. Um, and so let's see what we have here. May his memory, may his memory be eternal. Yes. That's right, Haley. Uh, if I understood correctly, demon, the etymology means to divide. David, Dom, what was your first introduction to Benedict XVI's work? What was particular about his work that had an effect on you? I don't remember which, which work I read first because I've been reading him for so long. But I remember finishing uh, eschatology and the work itself, once I finished it, kind of hitting me, like the, the seeing the full picture of what he wrote after I finished the book kind of just hit me. And, and I, I kind of saw uh, what what he was painting, you might say, with his words. And it was so beautiful. But really, his introduction to Christianity is very good. If you have, you know, questions about what is faith and why Christianity. <coughs> Sorry again, guys. I'm I'm sick, as you can tell. But um, I don't know his his little book with Balthazar and Mary was beautiful. Uh, his infancy narratives was very um, childlike. I just really like the that little booklet. Um, yeah, I mean, one of his bet better works is uh, Principles of Catholic Theology. I think that's what that's the title. I always get the title messed up. So I don't know which one I first read, but I would say the one that really hit me the most was eschatology. Um, uh, but also a bunch, of, you know, a bunch of his little oh, called to communion was probably one of my favorites. If any, if anyone wants to truly understand the legacy of the Second Vatican Council, strongly recommend called to communion by Joseph Ratzinger. And so, um, you know, may his soul rest in peace. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching my show and let's pray for um pope benedict uh if you know if he's in need of purgation that uh, he might be united to the lord uh fully as soon as possible uh but also let's uh let's ask him to intercede for us <coughs> and um 
and for my work and for the church especially. And I this is something I've been thinking about. I think his resignation uh, from the papacy makes some, a lot more sense to me now after reading him for quite a bit because he always, he, you know, he's always weary of the implementation of plans when it comes to reform. He's always speaking of letting the church impress its meaning on us as opposed to us trying to make the church better. And I think part of his resignation and entering into a, a life of prayer and silence was his way of showing by his example what true reform is going to consist of moving forward. So we can often get kind of, you know, caught up in well, what can we do in the parish? And again, you know, keep doing good things in the parish. This is not to dissuade anybody from act participation in the parish. But, you know, his message, I think, is that's all good. <coughs> but really, true reform is going to come from the work of Christ on his bride. We need to maybe kind of get out of the way and let Christ do the work of reform in us. And that's why that's part of what I see his resignation, his resignation being is an example of what true reform is going to look like moving forward in the church. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm so sick. All right, well, uh, I'll leave it at that. And uh, I again, thank you to everybody. Um, this this show uh, means a lot to me because I I'm, I hope to spread more the beauty of this man's theology, the legacy he left behind. And it's a very sad day. I was kind of kind of sad this morning when I heard the news, but uh, it's a sadness that's hopeful and uh, um, joyful, but it's still sad. So, you know, make sure you like, <coughs> excuse me, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And if you enjoy my content on the show, uh, you know, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash the Logos Project. And um, uh, without further ado, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, everybody.